Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Miami Six Man on Twitter, Chris Kremmy. This is Come Get Some Extra. This message is pre-recorded because last week I was going to tell you the story live on the air. And if you're listening, you might have heard me. I kind of changed directions mid-sentence. I was talking about how I have this newfound respect and appreciation more than ever before for the woman I've talked to, the people I've come to know who have been sexually abused, and the strength and courage it took them to come forward and talk and talk again and talk again through the attacks, through the negativity. And I have a story to tell. And I stopped there and I said, but I'll tell you next week. I do have a story to tell. And I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. I'm not traumatized. I don't feel like a sexual assault victim or survivor. I had one incident that happened when I was 17. I don't lose sleep over it. It's something I haven't thought about in 26 years. And I was thinking, you know, I I talk a lot about this on the show. What more can I say to support the victims of sexual assault? What more? And I was thinking of what I would say, and I always preface with, well, I don't know what it's like to be raped. I'm not a sexual assault victim. I haven't been touched in the wrong, and then I thought to myself, I was saying that I was touched inappropriately when I was 17. Again, I want to preface this with, I don't, want to be compared to, and I don't feel like my story is anywhere near the caliber or even in the ballpark of the stories you've heard on this show and the people in Hollywood. Um, Those are some hardcore, really, really tough situations, terrible, terrible stories. Um, What happened to me fell so low on the scale compared to the fact that I don't really think much about it. Uh, but what happened was when I was 17, there was a convenience store that was 24 hours. And when I'd get off work late at night, when I had no other plans, I would hang out there for a couple hours with the overnight, you know, graveyard crew. Usually be one or two guys there. I got to know these guys pretty well. Uh, one was in his 30s and 40s. The other guy was closer to 50. He was kind of a a well-respected guy, someone we all looked up to. And I got to know these guys pretty well, but just through hanging out at the store. And uh, one day it was this older guy, in the 30s, a 40-year-old guy, in the back by the glass doors with the sodas, doing something with the pricing stickers. And uh, I was standing next to him, about to grab a soda. And just someone I knew and talked to every night or several times a week. Without looking away from what he was doing, without changing the expression on his face, nothing, just this really creepy, out-of-place, weird thing where he just reached down over my pants and grabbed my penis. He squeezed it, and he, as he squeezed it, he fondled my testicles with his fingers. It was kind of a quick thing, squeeze, fondle, back to work. Never looked at me, never acted like he was trying to play it off. He was just, it was just one of those things that I don't know what he expected from that, because I was in shock. I was in shock. 
um, there's so many different thoughts, at least for me in this scenario, that went through my head at 17, standing here, knowing this guy, here's this guy. He's never showed that kind of behavior before. He's standing next to me. And the next thing I know is hands on my dick. And then it's gone, and I'm like, dude, I, I didn't, I wasn't quiet about the soul was empty, except for the guy at the front. And I was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck was that? There is nothing okay with what you just did. You don't grab another man by his dick. You don't do that. And he banged off, and it wasn't like we poke a kid on the shoulder and say, it wasn't me. No, he was terrified that I was being loud about it. He was mortified. He was scared. And I was like, dude, you can't fucking do that. And I walked up to the front of the store. I told the other guy, the older guy, I said, dude, he goes, what's the commotion back there? You know, he got my story. The other guy's story was, uh, you know, I was playing around. I was goofing. He, he wasn't. I don't, I don't know what he expected, but he wasn't playing around. Um, I said, no, you don't fucking do it. You have full-on grip on my dick. You fondled my balls. You knew what you were doing. He said, yeah, I was just joking around. You know how guys joke around. And the older guy that we all looked up to, that I, you know, I trusted, I was like, yeah, look, you'll see. You're young. You'll see when you hang out with the guys over the years. You'll find out. You know, this is how guys joke around sometimes. And I said, well, I don't think it's fucking funny one goddamn bit. And I said, if you ever fucking do it again, I'll put your ass down. Now, I was 17. I was a 110-pound soaking wet little scrawny little guy. I looked like I was 12, which concerns me about this. Another thing that concerns me about this situation as well. And, um, and I let it go there because I, I think that I was noisy about it. He uh, never even looked at me funny again. Um, so I felt like, and I feel like I dealt with it there. I, it's handled, it's done, I took care of it. And, you know, over the last year, I've heard so many horror stories and so many terrible cases that are nothing near as tame as mine is. And I hear some of the same thought processes. There was one time probably didn't mean it, was like, you know, it's not going to happen again. And you start to wonder, did you do it to anyone else? Should I have done more? I haven't said anything before this past week to anyone in 26 years that he touched little boys. Did he touch anyone else? Did he go farther? Should I have reported it? That concerns me. If anything, that bothers me to this day. The only thing about it that really bothers me, I mean, if it bothers me, he did what he did. And then I let it go. And I hear people saying the same thing about their violent, vicious situations, things that happen to them. And I think, you know, um, as little as I make this out to be, as much as I, as much as I downplay what happened to me, if I sat here on the air live last week and I couldn't bring myself to it, and I had to pre-record it to make sure I don't back out today, just think of how much courage, just think about how brave, how much it took for these women that I've talked to so far talking about, what, what, uh, they're talking about Mary Francis and Sana Kabula, 
Uh, Claire Headley touched on the subject. Um, Christy Gordon, uh, people that I've met online, victims of Danny Masterson, uh, Bob Arrelez, who came out with something after the fact, long after, to support others who have been through terrible crimes and terrible experiences like sexual assault. For Chrissy Bixler, I see, I see Chrissy Bixler. She didn't even want to be online as a known person who's been through this. She didn't want to be public with it. And now she's getting beat over the head with assaults and insults. And a lot of the people have been questioned. Very Francis has been put to the ringer by a couple of assholes online. And I see this and I'm going, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Because, again, nowhere near the level of these ladies. Nowhere near the level of the guys who still haven't spoke up again because we have that pride. There's a reason I took 26 years to talk about it because it never needed to be said. Why do I need people to know some guy grabbed my dick and I let it go? And I think about it and I'm going, these ladies put their heart and soul out and they didn't have to for the sake of justice. They're not even suing for cash <laughs> for cash or anything like that. They're, 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 they want justice. They're telling the truth because it's the right thing to do. And they put themselves out they put themselves out there years and years after the fact. And I don't get it the way they do, you know, I don't get their situation exactly, but I get thinking it's not that big a deal and that it's just me and I handled it. And it doesn't need to go any farther. There's no use making a big deal out of it now. And I don't think enough people do understand that. And I hate it. it disgust me to see people talk to these people this way who've been through so much and you know if you don't know if you if you like an actor or you hate that your show got ruined and you don't know if you believe these stories and you think it's a witch hunt that's fine but if you don't know you don't know just don't comment on it what i'm doing here i i just want to to ask big and for you if you're a scientologist if you're also if you're just a a person on the internet that doesn't know how to talk to other human beings, or if you're a career troll whose life is still ruined by something else in your life that made you that way. I'm sorry whatever made you that way, but I'm asking you, I'm imploring you, please, dig down into your soul, if you have one, and find some microcosm of basic human decency and compassion. Show these people who've had the courage to speak up and tell their stories the, the, the support they so desperately need and deserve. I mean, we live in a time, guys. All I'm saying is we live in a time where we're so divided in so many different directions that we really need, I believe we really need to learn to not only better take care of ourselves and our own, but to take better care of each other. Your regularly scheduled come get some extra begins now. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says 
don't listen to your mum and dad, don't talk to your mum and dad, that's bad, yep. run. I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help, but I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life, you can't experience the great things without the bad things. I felt like it would probably do better off if we didn't exist, and, um, you know, came up with a plan on, on how to end it. We talk about seven-year-old child, mm-hmm. even, if, even if he's referring to actually an adult, so let's say we change that to an adult, you know, the woman shudders because the man keeps her even passionately. The fact is that she shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil. I, I, yes, even to this day, when I see a video of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work. Okay, on today's show, I have ex-staffer uh, of Narconon, Samantha Hicks, on the show. Thank you for coming on, Samantha. Hi, uh, we've been talking for a little bit over a week now. I'm really glad to meet you. Um, there's something about um, Scientology front groups that's very important. You know, I do a show, I'm trying to educate people. I do a lot of educating about the abuses, child abuses, all these things, but what in disconnection. But one thing I never really touched on enough of, and I do, you know, dabble here and there, but of like Narconaut. And I think that's a serious thing, and there's been, there's been deaths. And we'll, we'll try to talk a little bit about that, but it's not a good place to be for recovery. I'm I'm led to believe. And um, I would absolutely agree with you. So you know, Narconon, uh, for for those who who don't know, is advertised as, um, and maybe you can help me with the way they advertise. But basically, it's like the best uh, place to go for drug or alcohol recovery. Like if you're addicted to drugs, they can get you off of it. It's in a rehab, you know, they sell recovery. Okay, so they also say they're not Scientology. Right. Okay. Well, that's what they tell, like, right, that's what they'll tell their quote-unquote students of people that come in and their family. Okay, so you were never, like, actually, if I understand uh, correctly, you were never actually officially a Scientologist. Like you didn't go through uh, through Scientology courses the way you know a public would or like Sea Org would or anyone like that. Right, I didn't grow up in Scientology. I I didn't have family in Scientology. I'd never taken a Scientology course or even read Dianetics. I was 20 years old, and um, the only Scientology trainings and any courses I took happened once I set foot into Narconon to be on staff. Okay, so you just thought you were doing a good cause or just doing something meaningful? Um, I don't even know if I thought that. I was offered a job as a uh, personnel uh, to hire people, director of personnel at Narconon LA. It was a job. Right. It, okay. it was a job. It was kind of a esoteric job. It, you know, seems kind of unconventional, but it's not as unconventional as it turned out to be. Right. <laughs> were you were you coming in hoping to make a difference though? Did you think you were doing something good, or you're just wait, you know waiting to see? Or 
if I can get in on the ground floor working for rehab, then they'll train me. That was the thing. We'll train you. You don't need to have certification. You don't need to, you know, have um, any tool, not any, any experience in working with addicts or recovery or anything. You know, we'll train you. I thought, well, this is good. You know, why not? Who else is going to train me to do something I would like to do? Right. Right, a lot of times, you know, when you're trying to find a new job and find work, like the best thing to do is get something where you got that on the, on the job training. How can you go wrong? So, so what was orientation like? Uh, there was none. It was just come in. Um, I, for the first, I guess it was a couple of weeks, I was taking the communication course myself because I had I quickly went from being director of personnel supposedly to I was going to become the course the course supervisor over the classroom. So I had to quickly basically through the communication course so I could teach the TRs. But I uh, that was the first I'd ever done it before I was in the course room. So they started by teach so they were giving you courses. Uh, to get you ready to share those courses with the students? Yes, almost concurrently. It wasn't much, I mean, it wasn't at the exact same time, but I wasn't there for more than, a, I'd say, a month at the most, maybe to a couple of months before I was giving the course, you know, teaching the courses. Okay, and as we talk about students, these shouldn't even be students. These are people recover, recovering addicts, so it's a weird terminology, but it, it, it's how it was seen. Um, right, it sounds because, like uh, we never called them patients. We couldn't call them public because we weren't Scientology. Uh, so students seem to be the best. So, so how far in do you realize that this is Scientology or um, you know part of Scientology? Uh, pretty quickly, I saw in the courtroom room there's you know the obligatory picture of Hubbard. Pretty good indicator. Sorry, what? It's a pretty good indicator. Right. And I was like, oh, that's kind of strange. And it was the only picture in the entire room. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, that was a pretty good indicator. So I, but I, um, again, no, nothing went off on me. Nothing, no, like, oh, God, Scientology, hell no. It wasn't, it was like, okay, I knew they'd been around. I grew up in L.A., but I... Never seen anything in writing about it. Never heard anything about it. Okay. And um, what did you? What was your observations about um, about the courses you were learning and the courses that you were sharing with the patients that were students? Uh, my observations as far as what the, how they. Right, like, like uh, well, everything really. I, I guess that's a yeah, a very general open-ended question. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, like the first thing you did, I think, if I understand correctly, was sit you down to learn TRs, or to do TRs. Yes, they twinned me up with someone and uh, got me through the TRs, which it 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 was how it was out it was obscene. Is there? I can't imagine that I am a 
people that were detoxing sit in those chairs and not move. Not that I missed, that I enforced it, that I perpetrated it. You know what I mean? Right. Was there something in the back of your head going, how is this helping? Why am I doing this? Yes. Yes. And if I was bring it, bringing it up, you learn very quickly who to bring things up to and who not. Because you will get KR. You'll get written up in an instant. So staff staff gets KRs at Narconon. Absolutely, staff gets staff at Narconon is all, is treated as Scientologists. Uh, we go by policy. We have all the HCOBs, all the green editions. We had if we needed auditing, we had a fully trained auditor that we would pay is an independent that would pay. We pay, and he'd come in and take care of us do our auditing get us back on track. Okay, so KRs are the knowledge reports. These are the, the tattletale reports that are encouraged within Scientology. So that was part of part of Narconon. And was there ethics? Yes. There was, um, the, there was ethics officers. Um, there was QAL. Um, so they, people had... The org board is pretty much the same. As in, if you walk into any Scientology organization, you're going to see an org board with different divisions and different posts under those divisions. And it was the same in Scientology. Some of the words they posted here and there, not, I don't know about necessarily on the org board itself, but a lot of terms um, like students instead of public. Um, the, the TRs, we constantly called the communication course, which may be the same throughout all the orgs, I'm not sure. There were, there were certain things that they wouldn't attribute to that, like there would be certain keywords or certain phrases that they wouldn't use. We were told blatantly several times that if we people questioned us, if we were, we were Scientologists or if American on with Scientology, and knowing certain terms were we to say, no, we aren't Scientology, we just use some of Hubbard's methods. All right, but was it, was it understood, was it known and said amongst the staffers and the people who were in charge that this is indeed a Scientology uh, organization? Was it, like, talked about yeah. and acknowledged? Oh, absolutely. Our stats were the same as the Scientology org. Our, um, what they held us up to, our, uh, our ethics. We got away with a lot more at Narcanon because we would, at times we would pull the, but we're not Scientology card. And that didn't really work too often. But, uh... Right. Yeah, it... <laughs> <laughs> Did you wonder about that? Did you wonder, like, like if, if Scientology is this huge ethical religion, supposedly, and they're doing such good in the world, and Narconon's one of those great, wonderful things, why wouldn't they be proud enough about it to say, yes, this is definitely a Scientology organization? Well, because, Chris, nobody understands Scientology. Come on. They just don't get it. We're here to clear the planet. You know? <laughs> That's how it would be explained. They just, they don't understand. No, no, no one can handle that this is Scientology, basically. Um, well, I think for sure that they didn't want it known. It was a definite, we keep these two separate. But it wasn't done very overtly because all you had to do was walk in the back offices and our 
executive director was OT8. Our <laughs> CS was OT7. I mean, it, it was Scientology. It was just a narking on that part. <laughs> It's just the name. I mean, so so you could you could easily um, I, I could easily ask you like what would happen if you didn't do these courses or your TRs, but it's different because you have to know them to be able to do them with the people who are there for for treatment. Right, and that's the thing. They are so strict. Scientology is so strict about delivering the tech precisely. If it goes wrong, it's not the tech; it's the way that you delivered it, or it's the delivery of the tech. And that's part. And that's part of uh, keeping Scientology working. I've read um, uh, that you were you were you giving keeping Scientology working as something you had to know. Oh yes, yes. They would just, um, you know, no case on post. You're out KSW. You're out ethics. You're out. In, wow. You're out, 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 out. You know. And, and what did you learn about treating people with addiction? Uh, I learned how not to do it. <laughs> wow, that's a, well, that's a retrospective look uh, of it. <laughs> Looking back, we the word addiction, the word recovery, uh, support group, sponsor, twelve step, higher power. Uh, higher power might be used a little bit, but um, those words, those typical everyday, none of the mill words you would hear at any recovery anywhere around the world. It, it uh, are no uh, are un- non-existent. Not in any course book, not in unless they've been rewritten. Not in any uh, training that we give them or objectives that we have them do. It's all Scientology. You could take the same courses, hopefully delivered better than I delivered them at the time <laughs> at Celebrity Center or at wherever, and. Just pay under a different package for them. Instead of paying the narcan on rent, you're going to pay, you know, the org. So, you described to me off air that it was wasn't a lot of people like you brought in for a job. A lot of the people who were administering uh, this course, the Scientology coursework, and and these techniques to try to uh, to to help, to supposedly help people recover. Uh, they were like actual graduates of the Narcanon program. Yes. Um, almost every student, not, I can't say every, but a lot of students, once they graduated, would be approached um, that they could join staff. And, you know, wouldn't you want to share with us with people what you've learned and, you know, we can get you some more training and you can just go on from here. Uh, yeah. Um, so they they were actually more trained than I was. So they had completed the entire program, whereas I never did the um, objectives or the co-audits. I did the tariffs several times and TRs. So the most of my time, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, this it, it's unreal. I mean, this is stuff a lot of us kind of understood already, but like to, to get the details like that. And just see, oh, this is exactly what it is. As somebody whose job it was to help people, and you were you were administering, right? You were like a a, a supervisory type role. Yes, I well, I made sure that I, I was supposed to be there to make sure that the classes were being done right. So, uh, of, you know, I would start them and flunk them like any other course group in any org would. 
Did you feel like you helped anyone? I feel like the time helps people. That's about it. Detox. The the time away from yeah. the drug. The time away. Mm-hmm. No. Time away. Now, I imagine, I could be wrong, but you've seen detox done properly, and you've done detox done Narcanon's way? Um, I've not officially done detox properly anywhere, but I have seen, I mostly it's been the Narcanon way, yeah. Did he do it? Is, is it, I, I don't know which right or wrong with the, uh, how, I, I'm not educated in detoxation, yeah, um, but I'm not sure how they do it there. They come in, they they were already intoxicated or really high. They might get a medical check out with um, a, medical do- a doctor. We would take them over to um, Dr. Dank. We'd go to Fountain Medical Center, Shaw Medical Center on Fountain. Same one the Scientologists use downtown. Um, Luke Hubbard's doctor. Oh, his own doctor? Uh-huh, Dr. Dank. Oh, okay. All right, Dr. Dank. I've heard that name somewhere. Yeah, uh, so we would take them there, um, you know, to just get you know the clear go ahead that they weren't going to die on us. We hoped, uh, but nobody ever was that bad off. Thank God when I was around. Gotcha. Uh, I've seen people go into convulsions. I've seen people uh, with delusions, you know, out, uh, that are with the DTs and alcohol. And all we could do, and all we did do, was body comms and a touch assist, locate, just trying to make them, uh, what was the word? Trying to make them be more present and not caught up in their reactions that are going on, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) There is, I mean, there is no... There's no medical anything. I, they got one. If they got a couple of B shots, we would take them to the doctor for. They got niacin. They got as many vitamins as one could possibly imagine. Um, they got CalMag, which isn't going to help anybody detox. It's a drink that we drink, calcium and magnesium. <laughs> it always blows my mind these things. Um, <laughs> I want to point out first of all, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You said that you guys got audited if you need it. You said that uh, e-meters were not seen in Narconon except right. for unless when an auditor would bring it in in a closed case. So the students would come out and you'd ask them about it and they'd say, no, I never saw that in there. There's never any e-meters. I would be surprised if any student ever saw one. Unless, I mean, it's possible there was one in the back office and someone expressed some, you know, curiosity and seen it or wanted to be staffed, and I mean, it's possible somebody saw one somewhere, but it wasn't used as practice for the students. That was that would be the one thing that I would say would be a major difference between Narconon and an org, is the e-meter wasn't used. So if they wanted to say the e-meter is the basis of Scientology, then okay, then we weren't. But I don't believe that to be true. Scientology is the tech. I mean, so, and the tech is Scientology. How, how long is the typical uh, recovery? Um, I, I guess it, it differs on the on the patient or student. 
Uh, how, how long is it is the process to get them through the uh, the Narconon program? Well, I would tell you it takes as long as it takes. Generally, if we were pushed, 90 days. And if you had somebody who was finished a program and you were sending them off, they're ready to go, I'm just curious. And, again, like, you know, it's always easier, 2020 hindsight and all that, but uh, what's going through your mind as you're watching them walk out the door? Um, I'd be seeing them again because a lot of them came back. That's the only thing that Narcanon will do in case of you don't get your money back, as far as I know. Uh, they'll offer you a redo. Of course, I think you get charged for it because the CS has to come in and re- go through your files and find out where the tech went wrong because it it had to go wrong somewhere because otherwise this person wouldn't be back. Something was misapplied. But, but the, the top brass isn't going to say they're going to say it was, it was the way it was applied to uh, by the by the t- by the instructor by the associate. Right, someone, yeah, somewhere along the line, someone did something wrong. So they'll bring them. You know, if the student wants to come back, usually if they come back in, it was because that person was already a referral or a family member of a current Scientologist. Very few that I can recall people that weren't Scientologists or weren't related to it in any way that uh, relapsed would come back. There would be a I remember a couple, but people came back a lot. Wow. Yeah, because nothing, nothing's really being done but the detoxation period. Just the the, the detox and the, um, the the seclusion, you know, away from outside forces. You can't. You really can only make so many bad decisions in rehab. Right, right. You only have access to so much. Right. Well, you know, we found out later they had access to a lot more than us. Really? Wow. Okay. These other stories that I hear. I, um, you know, there would be staff getting in trouble with students as far as, like, you know, sleeping with them or just doing things that they shouldn't be doing with them. Um, Right. And, but I I never saw any drug use between staff and students. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I think I've heard someone talk about it before too, uh, briefly. Yeah, it wouldn't be hard to get anything in because there's no in L.A. There was a, no real lock on the door. It was a gate, and outside the gate was Olympic Boulevard, L.A. Crenshaw Pico. Now, now I want to I want to summarize something that I feel like I kind of we kind of blew past. I think is really important to point out. Uh, based on your hiring, based on and there's no offense to you and your abilities, but but based on your hiring and the other people who are um, who, who do the work there at Narcanon being graduates of the program, the requirements for administering Narcanon recovery sounds like zero. Zero. Willingness. Now, when I pay top dollar for a family member or a friend to get detoxed or to get a uh, a, a drug rehabilitation program, and I want qualified doctors, mm-hmm. people who know what they're doing to to help with that process, why would I – You know, to, but people don't know this. Right. So when you, you actually – Go ahead, go ahead. No, you know, you said, why would I do this? Well, because you wouldn't. 
play. It's not, you know. You also recruited some people, I think you said, right? You did a little bit of recruiting, regging? Um, well, not so much re- uh, getting students in the program. Getting students know, in the like program. Someone would call. Yeah. Now, that, that terminology, does that terminology sound right, recruiting? Because when I think of drug rehabilitation, I can't talk. When I think of drug rehabilitation co- uh, programs, I think of, I think of uh, wide publication, letting people know you're there. I don't think of pulling people in as a recruitment process. Right. Well, um, they didn't use the word recruiting, so that was a good thing for them. But um, it was – I'm sure there's a stat for it. Uh, it was one of the sources where to get, you know, people that would have some reality of what the program was. And you know, because no Scientologist wants to work in Arkansas. Really? No, we could never get anybody. No. Wow. I think Arkansas uh, has a really bad name in Scientology. Where like it's like bastard of Scientology. And Even active members. Uh, staff would be treated. I mean, it was just never like we were really. One, we felt like we were part of them, but they didn't try to include us, so to speak, if that makes sense. Sure. Is is that part of the veil they create, though, that it's different and separate? Yes, yes. And because it was two separate campuses and we were, you know, miles apart, even though it's L.A., we're, you know, without transportation, you might as well be forever away. Uh, And the difference in the buildings it was, it was you know the opulence isn't there the um, the uniforms you know S, you know Sea Org wears their uniforms and we didn't have a uniform we didn't have you know we looked pretty scraggly. So I want to know if I had a family member that was an addict and I happen to be driving by and I see Narconon Drug Rehab and I go let's try that out. And I walk in to get a consultation with Samantha Hicks. How does Samantha Hicks present Narconon to me to make me want to put my family member in Narconon? Well, actually, Samantha Hicks wasn't trained on sales. Oh, you didn't do that part? No. Okay. Um, but you can come into my course room and I would show the parents or the family members or the wife or the husband. Uh, you know, they hear our course materials and bring out the books, and they look like they're written for kindergartners with big pictures and how to do the TRs. Uh, you know, and I would give them the spiel of if they can communicate effectively, then the world opens up to them. They won't be so shut down. They won't be so frustrated. That, you know, just take it and run with it. You're kind of BSing your way through it. Absolutely. Do you know what the sales pitch was for it? Did you ever hear them selling it to people? Yeah, there would be just different um, approaches depending on the situation. I, you know, they sometimes they'd come out of the room, so and so just signed over her house or, you know, their college fund. Or that was always the point was to get them to agree to just send the people, just get the money. And then once we got them in, 
we had our time. You know, we could do our, we could do what we could. I don't think anybody really that was working there thought we were doing any harm to anybody. But I definitely did not see that I was helping them. And every time I would bring it up or express any concern, it immediately gets turned back around on you. Well, you have other ends. You have counterintention. What, what have you done? You know, so now we get into all that. And set check and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like you just learn not to say anything. And then when you do question, I was very careful to say it in a way that didn't sound like I was as disbelieving as I was. Um, because these people were good people and they were smart people. And I kept telling myself, I'm missing something. There is something here that's going to happen next day or tomorrow that I just need to wait for that's going to make sense. And that never happened. And the longer it got, the more quiet that voice got in my head until it eventually just went away. It's part of that whole, it's actually almost like self-brainwashing. You you have to start accepting things because it's not not getting better. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, you know, in the TR, the first thing you do is you sit with your eyes closed. And the whole point they tell you is to be. You don't do anything else. You just be. You just (laughs) exist. Well, then the person falls asleep. And you spunk them for falling asleep when in actuality, in hindsight, they, they, they're getting hypnotized. I mean, that's, why that's what happens when people get hypnotized. They immediately go into another, you know. Right. It looks like they're falling asleep. And then the next one, after they pass that one, would be sit in front of somebody two feet away with, um, you know, with your eyes open. So then you're in the same trance, but now you look awake. So what they're practicing at that point to look awake while, you know, you hear how people say Scientologists walking down the street and groups have these look about them. Right. And that's, that's not traumatic. That's that's the truth. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. I don't want to overstate this, but it sounds to me a lot of times when I hear about TRs that it's some of the the, the things you, you do um, remind me of things that wouldn't be allowed at Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Oh, no, it is. You're at, you're, yeah, you're right. And then just with the TRs as far as having to sit and not move and not react. And then the bull baiting, you know, up in someone's face or even sitting in front of them, not touching them, just screaming or just saying the most insane, lewd, ridiculous things. It doesn't always have to be lewd, but that would be somebody's button a lot of the time. And I'm thinking, how is this helping them? I'm sitting there screaming at them, go get your crack pipe. You know, what? Yeah, it seems counterproductive. It seems uh, seems, uh, just like a a contradiction within itself. Yeah, but that's a lot of what I had problem with. I would get so confused reading um, the courses that I was supposed to read or HCOBs that I needed to read or policy that I was directed to. I would get so confused that when I, when something did make sense, I was like, okay, well, wait, that part made sense. So there's something else I'm just not getting about this other stuff, but it'll come later. I don't know if that. 
right? Because I was going to say, like, when do you realize this is this is just crap? But you you they actually accepted it more. It sounds like. Yes, uh, I wasn't. It, it wasn't long before I wasn't very objective. I can tell you. I mean, from looking back, at the time I would have thought that I was. Right. But. It's interesting. Um. You also, uh, you did some dealings with other front companies, did you? Am I getting that wrong? Um, I didn't work for them, but I, I know about them. We got, we would take, um, we supported them, like Wise and Able, uh, the CCHR, that we would say good things about, given the opportunity. Uh, sometimes I would, I remember I would take checks down to Narcan on Ant or uh, Wise or, or Able. I mean, I don't even know if it was the actual Wise building or the Able offices. It might have just been Ant that I was taking them to. I really don't remember. But there was checks written out, on, you know, paper checks from Narcan Narcanon's account to Wise, to Able, to Bridge, to Narcan on Ant. And I was the one with the car, so I did a lot of the errand work. So what would you say the purpose of Narcanon is in reality? Is is it to recruit new members, to make money, a little bit of combination of those two? I I feel like it has nothing to do with with drug addiction recovery. That would be the least of the things it has to do with. Wow. I'd say it has to do with PR. Yeah. But their PR... It's failing miserably with Narcanon because it, it's dangerous. People are dying. People have died. Yep. Uh, n- not on my watch, thank Lord, but it, you know, you know, it's happened over and over and over again. Um, I would say PR, then money, and then re- and then future. You know, pull them in, get the lead. Wow, and you. You tell um, you tell of how you got in trouble with Scientology during the L.A. riots, and I think this becomes one of the most important parts of your personal story. Uh, yeah, during the riots, uh, we were given, well, my 2D, my boyfriend and I, which is another thing that happened at Narcanon that would never have happened at a church or an org. We weren't married, and we were allowed to live together. They gave us our own apartment over at the Ardmore, which was a Scientology-owned building off of Melrose that a lot of staff lived at. But anyway, during the riots, um, I went down and used the phone in the office because we didn't have a phone, and I told, I called um, Narcon, and I said, I'm not coming in. I can't leave the house. You know, L.A. is on fire. I, I won't be there. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I didn't even know why I was calling, to be honest with you. I thought, well, this is stupid. They know I'm not coming. And, you know, it was, you know, and you need to get in here now. Uh, No case on post. Click. Okay. So, actually, the guy that owned the building came and delivered me that message. He said, your director called back and said, you need to come down now. No case on post. Just, and I just remember looking at him going, I'm going to get killed. I'm a four foot ten white girl. I cannot walk out onto these streets right now. And um, I went. 
and I got there, and um, I was put in Essex for, I guess, doubt or treason. I don't even remember which lower condition it was. And then quickly it came out that my boyfriend and I had talked about leaving a few weeks, for a few weeks prior to this, and it came out that we had discussed it. We were, you know, thinking about it. And so they sent me, they told me that I was going to go to Oklahoma to Shilako, which is where Narconon New Life Center was. And that was, that was the big Narconon that was supposed to be like the flagship Narconon. You know, uh, I was going there for an ethics handling and to pack a bag. Okay. I packed a bag. I went to there. We went to L.A., got on the plane, got there. I was still there three months later. Um, wow. It, it may have been two months, but I was still there. And when I got there, very shortly I found out that I was pregnant. They would not let me speak to my 2D. They wouldn't let me tell him that I was pregnant. They told me that they would tell him. And then they told me a day later that they did tell him and that he blew. I never saw him again. I never spoke to him after I left L.A. for that flight to Oklahoma that I thought I was coming back from. I never saw him again for 25 years. Um, they told me that he had blown, and I knew that right then I was like, I've got to get out of here, and I didn't know how to get out. There was no way out. Oklahoma, Narcon is in the middle of absolute nowhere. Nothing. And... Um, I managed to sneak a phone call to a girl that had graduated from the program and had moved um, back home. And she lived in Ohio, and she was the only person I could think of that was hated Scientology and that knew anything remotely about it. Um, I snuck a phone call to her, and she said, call me back, and I'll get something together. Eventually, I was able to call her back. And she had arranged for um, some people from a local church to come and get me. And uh, they told me that where to be and that they would come pick me up. And I thought this is not going to work, but I'll I'll try. Right. And um, sure enough, that morning that I was, I walked down to the dining hall just like I was told them I would. And a car comes up, and I don't even think I get in the car, and I it's too really large Native American man and a smaller uh, Caucasian guy and he said oh I'm the pastor and these are my friends and I was like okay we drove down to the dorm room to the dorm building where my dad was in my room and I was like I don't want to go in and he's like no come on and I was like no it's going to be full of people in that main hall I'm not going they're not going to just let me walk out He's like, don't worry, it'll be fine. So we went in, and it was empty. I can't explain it, because Sunday morning, that was our only little bit of free time. And hmm. people were there from all over, Scientologies all over the world were there studying to take it back to their org. So there was Scientologists all over the place. But there wasn't any that day. We went and got my bag, uh, got out, and we left. We went all the way back through the campus and all the way back down through the gates, and not one person stopped us, which is very bizarre. Uh, So I got on a plane, and I came to Ohio, and 
had my son and raised him by myself and never saw or spoke to his father until about five years ago. Did did he grow up resenting that he didn't have his father in his life? Did he did he was he missing that? Did he realize or? I'm sure he did. Yeah, he. Uh, luckily, I got married when he was five to my husband, and so he was he's been his dad. Okay. But um. Yeah, it. To take somebody. I've always said, you know, I don't care if you're a Scientologist. Be a great Scientologist, but let people leave. It's not working for them. I I literally was not allowed to leave. And you supposedly you supposedly weren't a Scientologist. At that point, I would have probably called myself one, but I was nowhere near um, as committed in my head as I let on that I was. Right. Because I, I realized at some point I had to play the game if I was going to... At first I thought I was just saving my relationship because he really didn't have any... He didn't have the same feelings as I did about the whole organization. So I kind of you know went along with it for a while. But uh, they don't let... They, there's no, under no theory, is it okay that you can't leave, that you take someone? I was fed ground beef three times a day. A plate of ground beef. Pregnant. Weird. Very weird. Okay. I'm trying to go through what we talked about previously. I'm not sure if I missed anything here. Was there anything else that you wanted to say that was important to the story that I might be missing? Um, to the story, no, because it, it just said it happened, and I'm not the only person that's happened to, and I thought I was. And then I start hearing now, you know, within the last few years, of all those other things and other people here and there, you know, before Leah and Mike, before the aftermath, you know, you would you go online and look at message boards, and I started seeing this common thread. And that's when I finally thought, okay, enough is enough. Because I had spent the last 20 years not telling anybody, not really hiding it, but when you did say something, you inevitably got the, you've got to be kidding me, look. Like, hmm. there's no way you're not making this up. But that that's what I've always said, and it's one of the driving forces uh, behind me wanting to do this podcast is I knew for 10 years what was going on, sort of, but I didn't know how much I thought things were being exaggerated. Okay. But as you find out and you dig deeper and go farther down the rabbit hole, it's always worse than you think. It's actually worse. They're not sensationalizing on TV and on documentaries. It's actually worse. You can't see it all on TV. Mm-hmm. And even from what I know, because I wasn't deep in, I wasn't high up, I wasn't around for years and years, you know, I wasn't privy to history of stories and all this, but even what I just did as a lay person, completely unacceptable. I had no training. I had no business doing what I was doing, period. I had no business telling people, yes, or letting them trust me or giving them the impression that they could trust you. 
None of us did. And I'm not saying the staff had evil intentions, but we weren't qualified. If you want to be a Scientologist, I can pretty much show you the basics. If you want to be sober, we're going to have to go out of the building, and I can show you that too, but it's going to be somewhere else with the right. method. It's going to include a 12 steps. Absolutely. Wow. Well, do you have a – you don't have to get in details if you don't want to. You don't even have to answer. But have you had experience to compare to? Um, right. like, pro- like proper like proper detox or proper um, recovery. Um, well, myself, I I'm an alcoholic, but I haven't drank in it's been twelve or fifteen. It's been a long time. I don't even count. I don't C- congratulations, that was great. It's just not not an issue for me anymore. But I had to go for years of realizing that. Why is it what I'm doing working for me if it works for other people? Well, it didn't work for other people. Right. Right, So you saw a stark difference between what was done to help you recover and what you were being asked to do to help others recover. Yes, absolutely. There was, there, I can't think of one useful thing that we imparted to these to people other than time. It certainly wasn't good nutrition. It certainly wasn't a relaxed atmosphere. It certainly wasn't some skills of how to uh, deal with your triggers or not go into areas that you shouldn't be or how to handle people that pressure you or any of those other things. Hmm. Wow, well... I think what you're doing, speaking out about this, is important, and I know you've you've you know you've been wanting to get the word out, so I'm glad you came on and talk about this. No thanks. I think it's important, and I again the most dangerous thing about Narcodon is no one admits that it's Scientology, and that's all it is. If you want to be a Scientologist and go to Narcodon, go ahead. I hope you do recover. Maybe it will help somebody in that mind frame, but it can't continue the way it's going. It can't. It's absolute. It's fraud. It's criminal, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'd probably agree with you on that, most definitely. Now, what I do at the end of every interview, try to make it a little more fun, although sometimes it gets serious. Um, I do ten questions. Would you like to do ten questions with me here, Samantha? Sure, let's go. Let's go. So here it is, 10 questions with Samantha Hicks. Question number one, coffee, juice, or other? Coffee. Okay. Number two, true or false, lobster is overrated? False. False. You love your lobster. Yeah. Lobster's pretty tasty. Uh, Number three, this is one of those complete the sentence ones. Uh, Here you go. Clowns. (laughs) Are uh, <laughs> terrifying. Clowns are terrifying. I, I could go with that. Uh, number four, lunch or brunch? Uh, brunch. Number five, how much does it cost to be kind? Nothing. Five minutes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, number six, true or false? Lobster is overpriced. <laughs> Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> Number seven. 
<laughs> Number seven, if you had to choose money or happiness, this is an easy one probably. Happiness. Happiness. Number six, I, I know the answer to this already based on earlier questions, but clowns or lobsters? <laughs> <laughs> lobsters, of course. Hey, I think lobsters can be terrifying. They stare, the way they stare back at you. Uh, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, just curious, number nine, what's the last thing you ate? Uh, pumpkin pie. <laughs> pumpkin pie. All right, all right. I hope it's not left over from Thanksgiving. That's a little ways back now. I made one last night at 2 a.m. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And I always end these with, uh, I usually end these with number 10 this way. Any last statements, anything important you want to put out there, anything you want to say, uh, this is your time to do it. Just just say whatever. Just, oh, gosh. Um, do your research. Read about the rehabs that you're sending your loved ones to. Make sure that if they do go to Narcanon, that you are aware of what the program is. And just do your homework. I, I don't, I, I, that's, yeah. <laughs> just find out about it. I, I think that's probably. I can't imagine there's any better advice to give anybody on anything other than to question everything and do your research. Absolutely. Absolutely. I Absolutely. didn't do enough of it myself, so, yeah. Well, it's been a joy talking to you. Thank you so much, Samantha. Uh, I'll stay on the line, uh, but uh, thank you so much, and you take care. Thanks, you too. Bye. Okay, everybody in the house is sleeping. It's a late show, so I'm going to go ahead and sign off. That about sums it up. See you next week with Rebo Hammer. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad, they're wrong. I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great things without the bad things. I felt like it would probably do better off if we didn't exist. And, um, you know, Ted came up with a plan on, on how to end it. He talks about a seven-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even if he's referring to actually an adult. So let's say we change that to an adult. There's a woman shudders because the man kisses her even passionately. The fact is that she shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil. I, 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 yes, even to this day. When I see a video of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work. <laughs>